G'day, my name's Adam Spencer and welcome to Billion Dollar Napkin, where we discover how some of Australia's brightest startups prove that their crazy, innovative and impactful ideas were possible. We take them through their triumphs, failures and pivots and learn everything from their early beginnings to how they got it made. As we're trying to build something that has never actually been built before in gaming, we generated 74 million in that sale in four days. What would happen if you married Mario Kart with cryptocurrency? A new frontier of gaming where millions of players could not only compete against each other worldwide, they could monetize their success. We'll find out as I talk to Kieran Warwick of Alluvium. This is their billion dollar napkin. Thanks for having me, Adam. Cheers. Let's start with the napkin. Can you can you capture the Alluvium idea on a napkin for me? I'm uh, not much of a drawer, but I'll give it a go. So Alluvium is an open world auto battler and creature collection game. Uh, it's very, very similar to Pokemon mm-hmm. and uh, League of Legends Teamfight Tactics. We've sort of blended the two games together. So you essentially go out into this open world. There's seven different regions. You capture one of the 180 plus different unique creatures that that we've got. Once you capture them, you actually own them and you're able to take them into battle with you and start earning some ILV, which is our in-game token. Imagine like Mario Kart Mm -hmm. where you've got your Bowser and you're driving around and then you, you think, okay, I don't want to play this one anymore, but I want to play Super Smash Brothers same IP, you can take that character out of Mario Kart and start using your Bowser in Ah. Super Smash Brothers without it costing you anything else. And uh, that's that's what we've built. You're talking about the ability to transport a character or what they've achieved or purchased in one game across to another space? Exactly right. And this is this is referred to as blockchain gaming or crypto. Gaming, yes? Correct, yeah. I'm happy to admit I've got no idea. What, 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 is, what is the difference between crypto gaming and what most people would assume their kids are already doing in gaming? So the, the main thing is being able to have verifiable ownership of your assets in the game. So essentially in a normal game, it's held by a, a centrally owned server by the publisher. And so what that means is you can go out and grind and grind and grind throughout that game. You might spend money on skins, you might earn different weapons, but they're not actually owned by the player. In blockchain gaming, because everything is is literally verified on chain, you can own those assets and then not just own them, literally go and sell them for a profit. So where did the idea for this come from? Were you already in gaming and you thought, how can I take this into the new web? Or were you in the new web and in crypto and blockchain and you thought, how can I take that to gaming? I've been a gamer pretty much all my life. Mm-hmm. All, all four boys in, uh, in our family were avid, avid gamers. And Mum and dad must have loved yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they don't think it's too bad now. But yeah, growing, <laughs> growing up, they, uh, they, they, weren't, they weren't very big fans. But one of my oldest brothers, uh, Kane, he started a cryptocurrency probably five years ago now. And so he was in the space and, and we'd both sort of 
played around with different investments and in, in Bitcoin and Ether and, and stuff like that. And I stumbled upon a game that was connected to the blockchain and was using NFTs. And I thought to myself, well, this, this would solve a lot of the problems that gamers have been talking about for the last, you know, two, three decades. You've got people that literally meet up on the street to trade World of Warcraft gold mm -hmm. because there's no facility and, and no ability to be able to do that. The craziest part is there's people on either side of that equation that want it to happen, right? There's a buyer and there's a seller in almost every occasion, but the publisher is the intermediary and that's your web two where it's all centrally owned they don't want to give the players the power because then they can go and do whatever they want with it right they can sell those assets and they want you to keep on purchasing the same ip that they create over and over and over again was there a moment early on a test moment where you had your first trade of assets or your first interoperability where you thought hold it we've actually we've actually got something here we we just had our first land sale, which is uh, land a, sale, <laughs> which is digital land. Uh, some of it being sold for higher prices than what you would see if you travel, you know, a little bit further west in uh, in Sydney. But yeah, we had some of our our digital land trading for like eighty thousand dollars plus. <laughs> it must be exciting when you first have that moment that someone has has financially committed in a real world you know, dollars sense to this vision that you and your brothers have. Yeah, it was, uh, we generated 74 million in that sale in four days of, uh, of, of trading. And so like it, the, the entire thing is just surreal. Sorry, right? like 74 million. 74 million US. Dollars. Dollars. Actual money. Actual dollars. Was, was spent by people trading this digital land. To, the, to, to initially purchase the, the first land plots that were available. Yeah. Getting that vote of thanks from people in the gaming community must be oh, quite powerful for you. It's huge, yeah. That, that was validation for us massively because we're, we did that in the middle of a huge huge downturn in in crypto and for us it wasn't really about generating the money we've built the game so out like our game doesn't function unless people have that land because if they're not generating the fuel then the people in the main alluvium game they can't actually play you, you talk about the, the crypto downturn recently is is the success of your product intimately tied to the viability of crypto in general we think so without a doubt and the reason is crypto is very opaque it's it's so complex in in many many ways in terms of you know like bitcoin is one thing but when you start going into applications like decentralized finance and and all of the different projects that pop up when you're living and breathing it it's it's makes sense right but as someone a, a layman that's looking in it's very very complex right and a game is not and that's what we think is is going to bridge the gap between mainstream and just just mainstream in general and people who adopt crypto when you boil it down to literally a game which they they've been playing for 10 15 20 years 
and you make it super simple and there's all those things that I talked about in the in the beginning about you know making it just a seamless experience you don't even know that you're using crypto then all of a sudden you've gone and you've captured one of our alluvials in game and you're sitting there and it prompts you and it says well you can sell this for real money right now or or you don't have to you know it's completely up to you that's that moment where we think if you're just a, a standard gamer why would you not want to to jump over to this mm -hmm. new web3 world of gaming where you have you own that character you can do whatever you want dad was a pro tennis player did he ever put the racket in your hand and say give it a go yeah absolutely i think i put it in my own hand i i don't think he needed to to push me i was just around tennis all my life from four or five years old to 16 i was 16 wow so that's a serious commitment i think i got ranked like seven or eight hundred when i was like 16 in the in the juniors there so was, in in the world in juniors, in yeah, juniors. yeah, so in, in juniors, but so in the world. A, this in the is a world, serious yeah. tennis player who's considering a potential professional career. Oh, yeah, I was I was in Miami. I spent, uh, this was probably the thing that <laughs> that uh, derailed my tennis career, but they sent me, my parents sent me when I was 16 to do 12 months at Evett Academy, which is one of the top academies in, uh, in Florida. And, but they sent me there by myself. And I don't know, I'm, I am the type of person that I sort of saw the world for the first time. And once I started experiencing it, I was, I realized I was more attuned to business. So I did a internship at uh, Harvey Norman at when I'd come back from overseas, I was playing the best tennis of my life. I was, I was really, I, I was actually quite happy with where I was at. I'd gone back into school because I was doing homeschool for that year while I was in Miami. And uh, I, I basically, I said to dad, like, I really want to do something in business. Like he'd, we, we'd always been around business people like all our lives. And, and I went and I did this uh, two week uh, work experience in Harvey Norman. And typically you just pack in the shelves and stuff like that. Like the franchisee will not let you at 16 start serving people. And I just was like, I'm just going to serve people. Like if someone asked me, I'm going to try and sell them something. And I did this for about a week. And then the franchisee called my dad and said, hey, I want to hire this guy. And he was like, no, do not put that in his head. He's already like, he's begged me to go and do this thing. And now and I want him to be a tennis player, but it was too late. I was, I was done. Like the minute I, cause he's like, I'm going to pay you commission. All of a sudden I've made like $80 in a day. I'm like, screw tennis. Like <laughs> I'm going down this path. This so is fascinating was, because there'd be so many kids at the moment working in Harvey Norman, dreaming of being professional athletes. You're a professional athlete <laughs> who dreamt of working in Harvey Norman. Seriously. Yeah. It's a very, very weird situation. But yeah, I was just, I gravitated towards just, I don't know, like, sales, marketing, operations, that whole thing of running a business fascinated me. You said you had spent time in a struggling startup. Was that to do with burgers? Yes. What was that startup? Uh, that was called the Burger Collective. Mm -hmm. And it was basically a, a review app that turned into an online ordering app, but specifically for burgers. Why did it fail? 
So COVID was a little bit of uh, of a part in that, but it was probably too niche as well, I would say. Like, had we gone all foods within our first year, then I think we had a chance. But um, sticking, I was just so addicted to burgers that I was like, <laughs> I was like, we can't add pizza and we can't add all these other ones in. And, uh, and yeah, we, we probably should have expanded out, but it's a very, very, very competitive environment. You're talking, our competitors were Uber, DoorDash, Deliveroo, you know, and they're burning tens of million dollars a month. What did you learn most about the startup process, the startup game from that failure? Resilience. You got to go through it like this. The Burger Collective was, I think, my fourth startup. And you just learn that there's no one, there's no backstop, right? Like when you're the one who's created the startup, when you're the one that's gone out and raised the capital and the team is, is reliant on you and all of these different things, you just, you learn to become really really hardened and that's critical like there's there's things in in this startup now where people will say like that's a pretty you know big decision or like that was a pretty big deal like we just had a huge downturn like you're 95 96 percent down like how do you feel and i'm kind of like I'm all right. You know, like it's, uh, I'm used to it. You know, I've, I've been in the trenches now for 10 years. It just, nothing really phases me. We've had so many wins, but we've had so many losses as well. And the way that I've sort of realized more and more how lucky we are, the, the different three skill sets that we bring. So, uh, Grant, he was the one that I went to first when we were like, formulating this idea and he's got a 20 year career in cgi he's probably one of the the top 10 cgi modelers in the world and so he was able to bring the art direction that we needed were both avid pokemon lovers and and have been for for you know since we were kids and in all the gaming that the 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 visuals are such a competitive point of difference these days aren't they you could have the best game in the world in terms of adventure but if it doesn't look good, that's well, it's that, gone. Exactly. And that was uh, that was his point, literally his point. For me, I was like, we got first mover advantage. We need to get in. Like, your good is so much better than what is normal. Like, just give me that and we'll be sweet. And I'll take was, seven out of ten. I'll take seven out of yet, ten. Just like, get it to we me. We just need to get to market. And, you know, that's my part, which is the business side of things. But... Grant was like, I refuse to work on this unless we do AAA graphics. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means yet. Like, <laughs> what, like, what are you saying? And he's like, what I mean is like, we're going in here. Like, we are not doing this half ass. We, we're going to to make this. He, I want this to, to be the best graphics in history. Like, that's literally what he said. And so that's that's sort of Grant bringing that. And you'll, you'll see that we we're all very very competitive so mm-hmm. he's I'm getting that up. vibe yeah so um so that was grant and then aaron brings uh game design to to the table which i've just like nothing i've ever seen before you know like he'd he'd never 
fully published a, a game before. He's gone. He's built a lot of games and done it as a hobby all his mm. life. But the one of the games that we, uh, one of the genres of of game that we're trying to build here is an auto battler, and he's been addicted to this very very famous auto battler for like ten years. What's an auto battler? For the, I mean, obviously I know. Just say I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> What's an auto battler? It's basically uh, it's it's a game where you don't actually. It, it's more about placement and the synergies that your the different uh, composites that your team bring you don't actually control the characters on the board mm. so they they automatically battle each other and the best team wins right basically and so when we decided that uh we were going to have sort of like a, a pokemon style collection game he didn't like that and he wanted to bring to the table the uh more more the auto battler style of, of game. And so he went to work straight away. And within five days, he'd built a thousand page game design document, which I got checked. I went and checked it with like four or five different contacts in the, in the gaming industry from like proper, proper producers and, and stuff like that. And they were like, who did this? Like who? That, that's the equivalent of, of producing a, a, a final draft of a novel a Literally. complex novel or a 12 episode TV series Literally. or something in a matter of days. Seriously. And it was like, I thought he could do it. And he even he said to me, he's like, I don't know if we can, you know, do that. And, but Grant was just relentless. We're going AAA. And then once that had happened, it was kind of like, well, now I'm in on this AAA journey. So like, let's, let's just do it. And he was able to do it. So Grant brings the design graphics smarts mm -hmm. aaron brings the storytelling the narrative of the game yep. you bring the business smarts there's a fourth brother sort of floating off to the side or his shadow hovers behind this tell us about kane and the role he's played so he funded us uh to initially which which I mean, funded us and really got me up to speed in crypto in the first six months because I had been out of crypto for three or four years. The whole reason this started was we were traveling um, from his place to, and he was dropping me off and um, I was super excited. I'd just gotten back into trading in crypto and I made a whole bunch of money and I was like, I, I'd had a struggling startup before that. And so I was on top of the world. I was like, this is so, this is just amazing. You know, I'm generating so much money from, you know, only three or four months of being back into this space. And I said to Kane, I was like, look, you know, I reckon I could have you here. Like I, I could take you, give me three, four years of trading like this and I'll, I'll get up there. And he was like, you're not even close. Like you never, ever. And then he showed me the value of his token at that point and it had just gone over a billion dollars. And he was like, just give it up. You're never going to be able to beat me. And you don't strike me as the sort of guy who's going to go, that's a good bit of advice. Thank you, older brother. I'll go and do something else. It just annoyed me so much. I was sitting, <laughs> I'm like, I'm getting out of his car and I just, I couldn't even hear what he was saying for the, like the last three, four minutes. I was just like, how this red mist. dare he? Like, I was like, just, I'm like, and he's nine years older. And so I remember oh. I was getting out and I was like, well, I got nine years to get up to you. So if I can't, then I should probably, I should probably end it all. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so it was straight after that. I was like, I'm just going to work, you know, 18 hour days every single day 
until we come up with something that can rival his token. And then finally, when we pitched him on the game, he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm in on this. Billion Dollar Napkin is brought to you by Amazon Web Services. For over 15 years, AWS has helped more startups launch, build, and succeed than any other cloud provider. If today's episode inspired you, with AWS Activate, you can access free tools and resources to help you get started. Get up to $100,000 in AWS credits and start building with easy-to-use templates that allow you to launch your business idea in minutes. For more information, visit aws.amazon.com slash activate. AWS, prove what's possible. We've got a beta out now where we've got 11,000 people playing. That, for all intents and purposes, is a game. And if you look at it, the graphics are AAA. The gameplay needs a bit of work, but again, it's it's in beta. But to be able to create that in 18 months is literally the fastest AAA game that's ever been built in history. There's not just 11,000 people interested in playing Alluvium, are there? No, no, no. We've got uh, much, much more than that. So... I think we're we're just under two million that have registered to play the game, wow. which is yeah, it's it's pretty crazy being uh, pre-launch, but uh, we just we want to make sure that our systems uh, are able to handle it and and we scale out in uh, in in a in a way that that we're comfortable with. This brings us to the issue of scalability, and from what I understand, the sort of AWS technology you're engaging here is crucial in underpinning that scalability? Yeah, so we're using uh, AWS's serverless architecture. So uh, it's it's pretty special because I, I don't think that there are any other games out there, Not not certainly not at the level that we're planning to be at, that are using it. So typically when you're playing a game, uh, because there's different servers that get spun up, you uh, you have to have it region-based, which is annoying for the user because if you're wanting to play with your American friends for, for whatever reason, and then you ha- also have a group of Australian friends that you play with, you need to create two accounts. And then your items, your skins, everything is relevant to that account. With th- what we've set up, this serverless architecture where we can essentially spin up hundreds of millions of players it's completely scalable and they're all in the exact same global region if you will so everyone can play with everyone across the whole journey 18 hour days a wild ride what's the weirdest thing that's happened to you during the alluvium adventure well it was actually probably uh before the before the whole adventure had started one one of our uh, he's now our cfo but uh, he, he was uh, an advisor to me in a lot of different startups that, that I've created and he's invested in them. Basically, I was, I was really down and out and it was at the end stages of the Burger Collective. He said, what is a goal of yours that you really, really want? And, um, you know, let's manifest that. into. And I don't really <laughs> believe in any mm-hmm. sort of like pixie-like stuff, you know, things happen for a reason, all that kind of stuff. But he said, look, put in your phone 
that, and, and I told him, I said, look, I want to create a hundred million dollar business, right? Like that's what I want to do. I, I don't care what it is, how I do it, but that's why I'm mm -hmm. on this earth, right? Like that's an achievement to me. And he said, well, put it in your phone. And I did. And, uh, it was, it was a reminder, a daily reminder that just every time I woke up there, it was, you build a hundred million dollar business, build a hundred million dollar business. And then <clears throat> we launched and our price, it was literally like three months later or something like that. Maybe, maybe a little bit more, but we launched and we pretty much had like the Australian valuation was like within a couple of thousand dollars of where we ended up after our uh, initial token mm. sale. Mm. And so it was like, he was looking at me and he's like, I bet you believe in that pixie stuff now. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm sitting there. I'm like, I borderline do like, that's where I'm at here right now, because this is just so surreal anyway. And now you're reminding me of, of that thing that popped. Like I didn't even notice it anymore. Cause it's just every day, like whatever, whatever. The pandemic. I'm imagining in some ways that was a boon for gaming, but at the same time, starting or ramping up a, a fundamentally new business during that time must have been challenging. Was was the pandemic a boon and a curse? No, it was uh, for for us. It was really weird because, like, typically, if you've got you know infrastructure in place where you've got offices around the world and you've got people going into it, like we've got two hundred plus people, but we're completely remote. And so mm. we're, we're distributed across 37 countries and it's literally work from home. And so it meant that we were just holed up inside all, all of us. And it was like, what do we do if we, it like, we can't go outside and have fun. We can't go to a pub and, and have a beer. So like, let's just keep on working. <laughs> and so it was kind of a blessing in, in disguise for us to just, you know, sit there and, and have to keep on working. But then as you say as well, it COVID made gaming boom. There are so many components on this journey. There's money, there's technological expertise. There's also a war for talent. What's unique about the culture you've created or, or the workplace offering within Alluvium that can attract the best of the best? Yeah, so we, in order for us to be able to achieve what we wanted to achieve, we didn't have the ability to hire people that were juniors or that needed extensive training. It was literally, if we're going to create the fastest built AAA game in history, we need all experts across every single field, whether it was development, art, operations, finance, we literally had 10 year veterans. What is it that brings them in? Is it, is it, is it the vision? Is it the promise? Is it the lifestyle? Is it money? What brings them in? It's everything. We, we literally hit them with, with everything. And, and I guess this, this comes from my experience and being in a startup and just, I, I, I said to everyone that was coming on from day one, keeping you happy is the most important thing in this entire business. And I'm not just saying this to you. I'm literally saying this to every single person. So if there is anything that puts you offside or you would like improved or whatever, you let us know and we fix it because it's, it's, you are the, the, the guys that are building this business. And, um, and also on top of that, we gave them really good token incentives. So they have quite a bit of equity 
in, uh, in, in making this work. But we also have a really laid back sort of Australian culture where like the three founders are all Australian. A lot of the, the key hires in, in, in the first, you know, early, early days, also Australian. And so that culture of just being super laid back, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. Like if we've said from the out, outset, if there's anything that we've missed or whatever, which I'm sure there's thousands of things, just tell us, right? And we'll just implement it. Because if we're not doing things optimally, let us know what we can do. And on top of that, we basically said, work whenever you want, wherever you want, and however you want, right? All we care about is the result. And that let people go, well, okay, if I'm, maybe I am going to work between midnight and 8 a.m. And that's my style. Now, the two other studios that I worked at, they hated me and they ran me out of the business because of that, because no one could work with me and whatever. We're just like, we... You're hired because you're an expert. You know exactly what to build and how to build it. Just get Just your go job and done. do it. If this goes perfectly, or you know, reasonably, if it goes well, twelve months from now, where is Illuvium? We should be a top five studio in the world. I like the simplicity of that. Yeah, we uh, we we definitely. We have the plan to do it. We've got the personnel to do it. And we're certainly highly, highly motivated. So if we do everything right, that should be where we end up. Kieran Warwick, thank you so much for walking me through your billion dollar napkin. Thank you so much for having me. Billion Dollar Napkin is brought to you by Amazon Web Services and hosted by me, Adam Spencer. Produced by the good people at Podshape, we were filmed on location at the Hollywood Hotel in Sydney. 